Stop! Sure you want the rest of it? Dirty Harry Miller Dirty Harry Welcome back to Dirty Harry Minute, the only podcast in the world to review every minute of that classic 1971 Warner Brothers movie, Dirty Harry. I'm your host, John. Apologies for Tim and Trent not present, but we are re- <laughs> we have returning guests, Cam Smith. Hi. And Ben. Hi. And Ollie Coleman. Hello. And a special guest from the United States of America, one part of We Watch Movies podcast, Austin Pond. Hi. <laughs> How are you, Austin? Uh, pretty good. It's, uh, it's pretty cool to be here. You a big fan of Dirty Harry? I am a big fan of Dirty Harry, yes. Um, and, uh, and previously a big fan, and I guess now a, uh, a guest on, uh, on this show, so. <laughs> Thank you very much, Austin. Today we are reviewing Minute 85. The minute begins with a bus driving off slowly into the distance and ends with Harry walking the main interior of City Hall. What did you think of this minute, Cam? It's not the most action-packed minute. No. I will say that my main takeaway from it was that, you know, spoiler alert for the end of the movie, but this is not the best day of Dirty Harry's life. It's arguably one of the worst days. But at least you can look back on it and say, I got a damn good park out the front of City Hall. I didn't have to walk any further than I had to. What did you think of this minute, Austin? Well, it, there, there isn't a whole lot that goes on in the minute. Most of it is taken up by the end of the previous minute with the bus and that long sweeping pan across the flags outside City Hall. There's, there's not a lot going on. I did feel like the, uh, like the music comes in just as, it, uh, as we're coming up to, the, to where we can see Harry. And there's no music in the, the scene with the bus before. But it's really intense anyway. And then like the really ominous music comes in just to once we now we know what's going to happen, maybe or something bad's going to happen with the bus and that Harry's going to have to get involved. Does anyone know what that sound is? That sort of is actually some sort of Hammond organ or something. I'm not sure, but it is quite eerie. You're right. I think it is that girl with the pigtails. (laughs) I was going to say the minute starts off with um. Australia's greatest uh, export to California after after Bundaberg ginger beer is the eucalyptus trees, which makes us feel homesick, doesn't it? Even though we'll- I didn't even notice. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Are there many eucalyptus trees in um, Texas, Austin? Uh, not those kind. No, it's mostly a lot of uh, around my area, a lot of pine trees and oak trees and things like that. So, but you have yellow school buses in Texas. Uh yes. Do you have yellow school buses in Australia? I feel like most of the U.S. they're they're pretty much the the same kind of school buses, but I've seen some white ones here and there. But those we are weird. We discussed this on the last minute that uh, in Australia, our school buses are just regular buses. All the buses look the same, and it just happens that some of them carry school children. So we don't have that demarcation between the school bus and the civilian bus that makes it so easy for Scorpio to get his victims. I'll say the overacting from the kid in the back seat 
that was so prominent in the previous minute. Glad actually, we said goodbye to him. Well, it makes more sense here because you can actually see, you know, he's singing along in the back. Can you? Yeah, you can, see, you, you can see him shaking his arms around. It's, it seems more uh-huh. appropriate from behind. Mm. As do many things. Austin, the bus is driving pretty slow. I mean, I can see why the kid up the back's angry. <laughs> when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> we, um, yeah, it's not speed, is it? No. He's no Dennis Hopper. <laughs> no, it's not. What I want to talk about, sorry, Jonathan, I just want to talk about, There's a go- this minute includes just very briefly a shot of a dude on a balcony. Bressler. Is that who it is? It's Lieutenant Bressler, yeah. Uh, he just, he's a mysterious, I want to know more about him. I guess, you know, you do find out a bit more about him, but just the way he's looking, yeah, he's looking out over the city. He's like, this is my city. Ollie, do you think he's having a, a quick cigarette? Is that what he's doing? No, I think he's, he's taking, yeah, he might be having a quick cigarette, but he's just taking a moment to realise that he's really kind of lost control of the city. I think after this, you notice, although it's a good, uh, a nice spot, Dirty Harry does do a pretty bad park. Yeah. He goes right over the white line. But he gets results. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once again, this movie is f- such a product of its age. V- the V, the V, what do you call it? The Volkswagen Beetles everywhere. Hmm. A favoured car too of the serial killer, <laughs> uh, according to the Mindhunter guy. Did you, <laughs> have you watched Mindhunter? Not me. Uh, the FBI agent who wrote the, book that it's based on he has like a whole bit in it about he reckons if when he's profiling serial killers he always threw in a vw beetle there's like nine times out of ten that's what they were driving that makes his job sound a bit easy it does now austin Hmm. the shot the shot of bressler you know on the balustrade whatever you call it the balcony waiting for harry is this supposed to be a nod, like a backwards reference to when Harry and Chica are on the roof, their stakeout, in the dark, peering at women? Whereas this is this is when Bressler's at ease. Important his, police work. His stakeout opportunities are the beautiful vista of the of the, the urban city, the beautiful parts. It might be something like that. It, it, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but it is it is set up in, in much the same way. I think he also is just he actually he gives a wave to Harry once he sees him there. I think he's just like, "Where is Harry?" Like the mayor is waiting. I, he's just really anxious, and we want Harry. And, uh, can't stand to wait inside with the mayor. Is that symbolic that he does park over the lines? Because Dirty Harry is famous for going over the line. <laughs> it might be. Bressler is in Scarface mode. He's looking out over San Francisco, thinking this whole town's a pussy waiting to be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the subtext to Dirty Harry. It's actually the story of Bressler and his control over the city. Look how the look the the balcony is gold. Yeah, have they done that up for the film, or is that genuinely how ostentatious the uh, San Francisco City Hall is? I imagine San Francisco would have lots of gold on their city hall from the gold rush. Yes. Very true. True. Forty Niners. We'll see in later minutes. The mayor has a gold-plated telephone and intercom system and. Is it just, yeah, just more symbolism of the ivory tower? Yeah, you know gold. who has no gold-plated stuff? Dirty Harry. <laughs> Austin, do you think we... Do you think the movie needs such a leisurely, beautiful shot? Like, aren't we... Can't we just wrap things up or have a bit more plot here than just this? I mean, it's a beautiful <laughs> shot, but... It's only one minute, Jonathan. <laughs> 
Well, there that is something about movies from especially the 60s and 70s. You can watch a lot of the the um the older James Bond movies and see it too where there's a lot of people getting from here to there in leisurely ways or uh even even the shot of Harry walking up the stairs like he walks all the way in city hall and all up the stairs and we follow him the whole way and it's something that sometimes I kind of miss in newer movies where just everything is is so fast and you don't really take the time to see how the 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 connective stuff and i don't know maybe it makes it feel more like books or something where there's usually mm. the in-between stuff is covered more than it is in movies typically especially now but it is sort of strange to have such a leisurely minute after we've just had such an intense minute of the bus hijacking and so i'm not not sure if maybe it might be better to have harry just run in up the stairs and and uh, and really get things going. It's a good chance to show off the location. Yes, that's right. He obviously has learnt the last time he was caught, called to see the mayor, he had to spend a quarter of an hour on his ass waiting on him, so... <laughs> yeah, he's going to make the mayor wait a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's not a minute that was uh, filmed with a minute-by-minute minute podcast in mind. No, which is the great flaw of this movie. But I think yeah. it's good to, after that intense minute to have... Or there's the tension is building for the audience as they, they're sort of leisurely going on about the bureaucracy of police work. We know that out there there's this school bus. And Harry doesn't know yet. Yeah. What would have been awesome was as, if he, as he parks, the school bus goes past behind. <laughs> they should have done that. <laughs> well, in our heart of hearts, we know that Harry's just had a tryst with Chico's wife. And uh, we're expecting to hear, I'm walking on sunshine, playing as he's walking here. After Sadly, it hasn't been recorded yet. Do you think, uh, Austin, that Harry went home with Chico's wife after the hospital scene? I don't know. I, I kind of feel like part of his, uh, his seriousness about everything. Like, I feel like he was always kind of a serious guy, but he got even more serious once his wife was killed. And so it seems to be that's one of his driving things. So I don't know. It's, he might uh, might feel disrespectful to his wife. But although we do see him take a uh, uh, take someone home in uh, in one of the later movies. So, but I don't know if uh, with it still this fresh, if it's uh, if he would do something like that or not. Ollie, do you think Harry would cut someone else's lunch? Do you reckon he would knowingly cheat? He would uh, draw a friend's wife to cheat with him. Um, no, I think that's a line that he wouldn't cross. Um, <laughs> that's the symbolism. He's crossed the line because he's just done it. That's what the park job shows. In the novelization, they make Chico's wife at the hospital scene. She's six months pregnant. So only a dirty dog back in the 70s. Ugh, go within 10 meters of a pregnant woman. So they, they chop that. Harry would. <laughs> Harry absolutely would. Well, and speaking of the novelization... And Harry's parking job. Uh, I have. I, I've managed to get a hold of the novelization, and I haven't read the whole thing yet. But I've been sort of paging through it. And in the part for this minute, it describes Harry as uh, pulling in and parking in the red zone with a siren blaring as he pulls up to City Hall, <laughs> rather than his his leisurely park job. That, he that does would here. seem a lot less coincidental. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has gone better with some. Don't give me the red zone and the white zone shit. <laughs> From airplane. But, I mean, someone's got a park in the best spot, don't they? Yeah. He always gets a good park right outside the adult bookstore and in the hot dog scene. 
It was easy to get a park in those ungentrified days, goddammit, Austin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, in your local town, Austin, do you have, um, what do you call this parking? 45 degree parking? <laughs> do you have, do you have, what, sorry, what do you call this angle? Sorry, I don't know. Angle 45 park. degree parking. Yeah. yeah. Do you have these parks or is it, I think it has a bit of a stigma here as being for the those who aren't very good at parking, isn't it? Don't you reckon? It's easier to park here, but people, yeah. It, it's for sure easier than uh, than parallel parking is. It, I, it's kind of a mix of both, although there used to be a lot more parallel parking than there is. So I think it may it may have been shifting over the years to more and more angled parking because people don't. It, it, you know, it's always sort of a cliche thing when people talk about learning to drive that, oh, you've got to take the parallel parking test and everybody's afraid of it. So I think they're sort of phasing phasing it out where there's where there's space on the street to do it. Austin, in your town, do you have maverick cops who don't play by the rules? I'm sure there probably are. <laughs> a few, maybe, but I don't... They're not uh, not nearly as high profile Just as... Just going to run through all this, is. ticking off a list. It is still something that uh, that you can, can do. I think you can, do have something of a choice in what your service weapon is, though. So someone could be walking around with a, with a magnum if they wanted to... I don't know that they are. I'd have could. a Derringer. Easy to hide. Very ineffective. Now, Austin, you may be the only one in the room that's seen the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> I've seen the remake. You've seen the original, haven't you, on your podcast? You reviewed it? I have, yes. Yeah. Do you see any Seagull traits, anything shared with that movie in this? Is there any good bad parking in that movie, for instance? I think there probably is some good parking in it. There, there's, uh, there's a lot of um, frantic moving from place to place. Actually, no, there is, there is, a, there is a really good, good park job when uh, one of the guys realizes that his wife is at home alone and he has to get over there and before she gets snatched, but it's, uh, but it's too late. In Dirty Harry, a lot of bodies do get snatched. <laughs> No, it probably would have it would have helped to have Harry in the uh, in when the body snatchers were were invading. He could have uh, could have taken care of the problem a lot earlier. Harry wishes he still had a, a wife to run home for. Mm. In the remake, yeah. in the remake, Donald Sutherland, when you you don't know if he's been snatched, there's a scene at him in this part of City Hall, isn't there? Have you seen the remake, Austin? <laughs> he's sitting on a chair in this. I yeah. And he goes, ah. I have, but not not recently enough to remember very much. <laughs> Just good old Donald Sutherland, Donny being Donny. Jonathan, yes, uh, you rated the forty five degree park as you know the, the simple park. I thought maybe that's a stigma, is it? H- how do you rate it up against the ninety degree park? Where you're just saying compared to a parallel park, it's easier. Yeah. I think the 45 degree park is easier if you're coming from that way yeah. and harder if you're coming from that way. It all depends whether you have to make a more than 90 degree Of course degree he's turn. over the line. He's used to a 44 Magnum park. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if Steven Spielberg got his hands on the rights to this movie and he re-released it in a, like an ET remaster kind of thing where his 44 Magnum was replaced by a Magnum ice cream <laughs> so that it would be kid friendly. <laughs> And the whole movie made no sense. Um, there's some online commentary about um, the voyeurism in Dirty Harry. They're saying usually Harry Harry comes a cropper when he's got time on his hands. Uh, for instance, on the rooftop where he's you know waiting to find 
finds Scorpio on the roof there. He gets distracted by the nude women. When he's sort of waiting around, that's when um, it's dangerous for Harry when he doesn't have a clear objective. And here he's had nothing really pressing since the torture scene, has he? Like he's had nothing really... He was tailing Scorpio, but he hasn't had any any big time uh, time constraints or restraints to do. He's got nothing to do, really. That's why he's walking so leisurely. I'd say he's walking purposefully. Purposefully? I was just reflecting on how great his hair is in this movie. I just have a picture of Clint Eastwood as, as being a, a balding fellow. But, you know, look at him back then without a cowboy hat on. He's got a fully magnificent crop of hair. He is told to get a haircut at one point by the police chief. Because he's a hippie. He's the hippie vigilante with a heart of gold. That was the tagline on the posters, I believe. Cam, is Dirty Harry a plumber? He just gets in there, does his job, shows his bum crack, and no thanks. Breaks into the Watergate Hotel. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> he wears his sunglasses for a long way into the building. <laughs> Sort of thing you pick up on. Yeah. Well, it's quite dark. Yeah. Well, the shades are his only real modern modern accessory, aren't they? Mm. Maybe the forty four Magnum. Otherwise, he's just got a pretty traditional... He does care about fashion, though. At one point, he talks about having $95 pants or something. Yeah. And he doesn't want them cut off. So, clearly, he, he wants to impress on some level. Back when that amount meant something. Interesting, he can afford... Those kinds of pants on a policeman's salary. Yeah. But, um, you know. Maybe he's taking a little on the side. He's on the take. They're all on the take. <laughs> That's what Scorpio's trying to expose. Austin, I've got a quote here from your friend and mine, Pauline Kale. <laughs> she said, The action genre has always had a fascist appeal, but it has finally now surfaced. A cop killing a crook is repression, whereas a crook killing a cop is revolution. Discuss. Is it a fascist movie? Hmm. I've never... I've seen what people see in it, but it... They... And Clint Eastwood in particular at the time has said that he didn't have any idea of any intention of that, and that's not what he would have meant by it. Um, Although he... The... He sort of backs off a little bit on on that in the in later years, I think, where he sort of realizes, oh well, I guess maybe it was sort of a thing of the time, and that it doesn't really, maybe it doesn't hold up quite how it how it was. I think maybe you've talked about before um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and some of the special features talking about about this movie and how like inspirational it was to him, which seems like a kind of an odd odd thing being uh the rest of his politics but it i don't know it, it's not it's not fascist in like you know like a like a nazi germany kind of way but it's it is a little the state is right or the uh the we got to get the bad guys by whatever means and so it's uh it's not unfair i suppose to to say it has some fascist tones at least what did Poland say a cop killing a crook is repression, repression. Yeah, whereas a crook killing a cop is revolution. Is, hang on, is that her that is that her belief or is that what she's to, taking from the movie? I may have to double check. Maybe that was someone how someone summarized her argument. Oh right. Yeah. I mean the thing is, it's not like what he's kicking back against is sort of a this new the new age policing that you see I guess probably more in uh, things like Ashes to Ashes. 
that sort of thing. The David Bowie video clip. Uh, like the, you know, He's the, very fascist. Uh, you know how the police all dress up as clowns and go to the beach? <laughs> you know, do you, you watch Life on Mars and Ashes yeah. Ashes? Yeah, yeah. Where you've got like the old school cops kicking up against the new wave of policing. Yeah, there's an episode where he goes, hey, you're reading the rights wrong. Like he's got the more yeah, developed liberal version, small L about Miranda rights. But like, that's not what they're kicking. That's not what Dirty Harry's kicking back against here. They're not saying, oh, we, we care about victims' rights. Or, you know, Scorpio's mentally ill. We've got to keep that in mind. Mm. It's the police, the state has very conservative views yeah. on how things need to be done. And they're, they're just incompetent. Dirty Harry doesn't actually break any real rules. He goes in without a warrant. He does torture the guy, but he has to. Very small. Yeah, he, he, he tortures the guy. <laughs> well, he gives him a little bit of torture. He should. I mean, if he was a fascist, though, he would have shot him there. It is, it is in the interests of saving a life. Yeah. If he was a true fascist, he there would have is, just shot Scorpio. There is, there is a reason Dirty Harry is, you know, admired as a character by people, which is that he generally has a compelling reason to do what he does. And that's not to say that there are not also good reasons why the rules that he breaks are in place. But also you can very much understand how a person who is not necessarily a psychopath would behave like Dirty Harry. Is the movie itself a false presentation of a a false scenario in terms of creating that kind of time-restricted oh, well, situation. It's, it's like how people defend, you know, torture on the basis of, well, what if there's a bomb that's going to go off in 30 minutes? And it's like, well, that never actually happens. Like this never actually happens. But then that's the problem with reading, because it's like, well, is this a message to us as a public saying this could really happen and so we should believe that cops should be like Dirty Harry? Or is this just a story about a situation in which it did happen? Mm. And so, you know, is he, is he an allegory or is he just a dude? All movies are what-if situations. Clint Eastwood does seem to take a sadistic amount of- uh, Dirty Harry seems to take a sadistic amount of pleasure in exercising his duties. Like, he really has fun killing those guys at the bank robbery. Yeah. And he has fun torturing this guy and he enjoys the chase. That's kind of like a creepy, oppressive element. Here's Dirty Harry from a future movie. I'm either a cop or public enemy number one. It's a question of methods- Everyone wants results, but won't do what's necessary to get them done. That sounds a lot more fascist than the than the first movie seems to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder if maybe that's that's some of what I, I guess there was the reaction at the time that that it was fascist, but then ha- in the time since then, and adding the sequels to it, if maybe that's. There's not as much of it here in this first one as as it becomes later. Well, I mean, going back to the parallel with Rambo, the picture of Rambo and what Ram- John Rambo as a character represents is really based on all the sequels, not the original, yeah. which is a really heartbreaking look at PTSD <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, the harassment of the homeless, um, which is not what we think of when we think of Rambo now. So, you know, sequels really can ruin the legacy of a character. <laughs> um, Austin, do you like Clint Eastwood as an actor? I think generally as an actor, yes, and, and, uh, and in his films, and I guess as a director some of the time. But, um, and I, like, I, I tend to be able to separate 
people doing art from people being who they are in real life. So even if I disagree with his politics, I can still watch Clint Eastwood in a movie and and still enjoy it to at least a certain extent. So, have you ever met Clint Eastwood? <laughs> I have not. I have not met Clint Eastwood. Get on it, man. I, I, He's not got long to live. That's strange because you and him live in the same country. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. We just assumed. Well, guys, you may be aware that in real life there was a imitation imitation of the school bus kidnapping. Are you aware of the Chowchilla kidnapping, uh, Austin? Didn't happen in Texas. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it was quite a time to be alive in California in the seventies. Cam, you had Zodiac and that Patty Hearst business, Jim Jones, Harvey Milk's assassination. Well, Jim Jones wasn't in California. They were from San Francisco originally, though, weren't they? Or from California? Well, I don't Before know. Before they were moved they? out to go. Were young? they all from California? I think that's where they started the cult. They had something to do with the... They had some friendly relations with Moscone, the guy that Harvey Milk killed or something. Or at least he gave them some planning what? permit or something. Harvey Milk killed a guy? What? <laughs> no, the, the mayor that... <laughs> you, know, the, you know, the killer of Harvey Milk. The guy who killed Harvey Milk. He also killed the mayor, Moscone. And Moscone, earlier on in his tenure, right. had like given a planning permit to them or something. To the Jonestown? Yeah. Okay. God, it's a bit tangled. Anyway, do you guys, are you interested to hear about this connection? Tell me more. Mm. Only Faustin sure. says so. Faustin doesn't care. 15th of July, 1976. 26 children aged between 5 and 14 were on a school bus. They were attending summer school and being dropped off on their way back from a field trip to the swimming pool. At 4pm, the bus came across a white van blocking the road. The driver stopped to see if these three young men needed help. The three men stormed onto the bus, brandishing guns, and forced the bus driver to the back of the bus. The kidnappers removed the kids and Ray, the bus driver, from the bus and drove them around in two vans for 12 hours, during which time the hungry, petrified children soiled themselves and held each other quietly in fear. Oh, come on, kids. There's no need for that. The hostages were eventually taken to a quarry in Livermore, California. There, the kidnappers imprisoned the victims inside a buried trailer van with a small amount of food, water, and a number of mattresses. It was also equipped with fans and ventilation. The kidnappers left the quarry to call in their ransom demand. However, because telephone lines to the police department were tied up by media calls and families searching for their children, the kidnappers could not get through to call their ransom. They instead took a nap. After around 15 hours, the driver and older boys were able to stack mattresses to a manhole in the top of the van. They pushed open a weighed down metal lid, 100 pound battery, um, industrial batteries, pushed them off and freed the children. The police discovered the trailer was registered to the quarry owner's son, one Frederick Woods. Under Hinopsis, the bus driver remembered the license number of one of the abandoned vans and a draft ransom note was also found in that van. Two of the kidnappers, Frederick and James, panicked and fled northward in a car, while the other, Richard, decided to return home to confess to his and James's parents. They were brothers, if I didn't say that before. The police launched a manhunt for them and placed a tight watch on Richard, who they were now beginning to suspect. Uh, Frederick and James decided to split up and headed into Canada separately. 
or tried to head there because on the evening of July 17, Frederick checked in at a Vancouver hotel. James attempted to cross the border but was denied entry and instead went to Spokane, Washington. A week later, Richard Turner himself confessed and was taken into custody. James drove down to hand himself in with Frederick um, an extradition order. He was found at that Vancouver hotel. So, yeah. How long into this scheme did they wait before they called the police? They drove. The, how long did they drive them around for? 12 hours, it said. Half a day. And then they put them in the thing and then they call the police. That's right. You can call in a lot earlier than that, I think. Yeah, there's three of you. Oh, One of you could earlier. just... Yeah. This is why, you know, mobile phones have been a boon to kidnappers. Because with a mobile phone, they could have called them while they were in the van. Yeah, they spent 12 hours driving around looking for a payphone. The kidnappers were young men from wealthy uh, homes... Um, they'd worked on their plot for one and a half years. James. Jeez, they didn't get a lot done. He was asked, why did you take the children? James, one of them said, I'd moved to this new place, Atherton. I was no longer something special. I wanted to fit in with these new people that we had moved next to. What, kidnappers? I had envy issues trying to fit in with one crowd. They were buying houses on their own career paths while I was falling behind them, and I just figured I needed money. Why didn't you ask money from your father? My dad was pressuring me to get a profession. So I I did. I wasn't ready to settle down and get a profession. I just wanted to play. I wanted to fly balloons and stuff. I had very low self-esteem, because since high school, everything I'd tried, I'd failed at. Well, this did not help. At the time of the crime... Um, he said with an eerie choice of words, he felt buried and I felt there was no way out. Why a kidnapping, James? He just told you. Ronald Reagan put out a headline that the state of California had a billion dollar surplus. Oh, it was fucking Reagan again. I kept thinking the state's got more than it needs. That's true. I wasn't going to commit any crimes, risk my life or my reputation for anything less than a million. So bank robberies or a drug deal wouldn't work. You can do more than one drug deal, though. Yeah. Oh, well, one bank dealing, robbery. Keep dealing drugs. Also, banks have more than a million dollars in there. He could have taken a million dollars from a bank. Why did you choose these children? Why would you torment a school bus filled with country people when none came from great wealth? Why not capture a billionaire? We needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. We picked children because they are precious. The state would be willing to pay for them. And kids don't fight back. I was a coward not to pick a different target. It was sensible, though. I feel like I feel like picking a target that won't fight back is actually a way to minimise casualties. So I, I, I approve. You could do multiple drug deals. He said here I needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. How did you come up with a buried van idea? Well, I felt buried and I had a van. The kidnappers are said to have used Dirty Harry, among others examples as the inspiration for the crime some details of the crime corresponded to details of the day the children vanished a story published in alfred hitchcock's book that was in the local public library the book daring detectives so we can blame it on reagan we can blame it on hitchcock can blame it on eastwood they're all in it together Did, was, were they watching dirty harry they're like all right, bury someone alive, demand ransom. This is a great idea. Let's go. Let's yeah. leave. Let's leave the cinema now. Well, they took an, a year and a half. 
Yeah, was it a full year and a half of planning or was it... Year and a half of watching Dirty Harry yeah, over that, and over. Day one. This is 1976. That's, that's how long it took them to read the story. Did they take a 17 and a bit month break in the middle <laughs> of planning this? I found some information. Mm-hmm. A study found that the kidnapped children suffered from panic attacks, nightmares include, involving kidnappings and death, and personality changes. Many developed fears of such things as cars, the dark, the wind, the kitchen... Mice, dogs and hippies And one shot a Japanese tourist with a BB gun When the tourist car broke down in front of his home As a dangerously inappropriate need for heroism Stop blaming your racist assaults On your childhood trauma The brother of one of the victims Grew up to become the Yosemite killer (laughs) Or Yosemite, I never know how to pronounce it No, Yosemite Yosemite uh, killer From the cartoons One of Bugs Bunny's nemeses Jennifer Brown Hyde They buried me alive, they stole my childhood and caused me immense emotional pain. It affected my life, my parents' lives and my children's lives. For me, it's having to deal with hatred and anger towards other human beings, a struggle that almost 40 years later, I still have to deal with. Yeah, some people just want something to complain about. All three pled guilty and were convicted of 27 counts of kidnapping for ransom without inflicting injury. They were sentenced to life in prison without parole. However, parole was allowed in 1981. This is what Dirty Harry's problem is. What? Sentence them to life without parole and then give them parole. Mm. That's why Dirty Harry has to clean up the streets. By 2015, both brothers had been released. Richard now lives with his mother in a condominium in Uh, Mountain View, California, wearing a GPS. (laughs) He was the only one who turned himself in. Um... Yeah, like you said, one, a lot of PTSD from the kids to this day. Um, so, yeah, Woods Frederick is still in jail and continues to minimise his crime and has had many disciplinary infractions, including three for possession of naked child pornography, but has yeah also made a fortune trading in automobiles um, from his cell. See, if he can make something of himself. <laughs> I want to know if you sentence someone to life without parole... For kidnapping without intent to cause harm. Mm. Where have you got to go when they do intend to cause harm? The gas chamber? I don't know. (laughs) It's a bit of a rough kidnapping too. Because it's like there's three lots of three traumatic events in there. There's the you've kidnapped them, then you've done the van thing and then you've buried them. That's like three different. This is because they took too long to plan it. Yeah. If they planned it quicker. They would have realised you only have to do one bit. We could just keep them on the bus. Yeah. Like Scorpio. The first place I picked was a barn. Then the idea came to bury the van. If it was underground, they couldn't just cut through the walls and get out. Yeah, smart. Yeah, good on them. Until recently, one of the victims said, I sleep with a nightlight. I have anxiety attacks when I'm in a confined space. And it's a problem living in the south when we have tornado warnings and have to take cover in storm shelters. Well, move. Or get a bigger storm shelter. You don't go You don't go from being buried alive and thinking you're going to die to having a normal childhood. Yeah, probably, yeah, probably true. Austin, do you have tornadoes in your part of Texas? Uh, we, ha- we do sometimes, yeah. And I, I, I remember a number of times, especially as a kid, have, hearing the... The sirens go off and having to uh, to go to the shelter or hide in the closet, or depending on where we were and what we had access to. And it uh, even without trauma from a kidnapping, it's uh, it's a pretty scary thing. Yeah. 
But we don't hear you complaining. <laughs> no. Uh, it, it does seem like they... It's weird how smart they were about some things and how dumb they were about other things. Or like they, they did think of things like, well, we didn't want him to just cut through the walls, so we buried it. But also we took like a day and a half to do anything and <laughs> and so the whole thing just fell apart. So they they didn't seem to be consistently smart enough to pull it off. Why didn't they send a letter to the police? Well, they had a draft ransom letter, but yeah, I mean, that they found forgot it on to the send it. <laughs> Austin, do you live a do you live in a part of America where you can actually vote for your local judges and aldermen and that sort of thing? Can you vote for your judges in your county? In the yes, yes, in the the local judges mm-hmm. and the sheriff and, uh, and those kinds of things. And it really is uh, politicized, just like your local representatives in in your state congress. Literally, you have people saying, "Don't vote for this judge. He's he's soft on crime," and he that really happens. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you have all the campaign commercials and signs and everything. It's just like uh, like any political election, people running against each other and doing whatever they can to, to get elected. So, And is that the same for district attorneys or is that is that a, a special... You can't vote for that position. It's internal. I think... I'm not even sure... I'm not sure in my area if there even is... There must be something equivalent to a district attorney if there's not, but I'm not actually sure. Well, maybe it's just Chuck Norris. I think there may be like a... Yeah. <laughs> like how we're grilling you on the fine points of American <laughs> democracy, because that's, that's why we got you on the podcast. That's fine. Um, hmm. I, I don't... I'm not really sure. We, re- we've, we might have traveled a fair bit from this minute, mm. to be honest. We... <laughs> Well, it's because nothing happens in the minute, so we have to drift around. Well, Spielberg, of course, um, had Indiana Jones coming down this uh, stairwell in Raiders. Passing Dirty Harry on the way. They've used City Hall a lot. Is this the actual San Francisco City Hall? Yes. It's a a bit friggin' fancy for a City Hall, isn't it? Mm. City Hall, see, our tax dollars at work, you know? Too much gaudy... gaudy Mm. What's it called? Ostentatious. That's the word you used. And it was true. It is too ostentatious. That's kind of what this film is about, isn't it? It's all show. Mm. When you were in San Francisco, John, did you visit the city hall? Very much. Yes. No, this was, um, you know, obviously from Australia, I didn't like the fact that I had to go through the metal detector twice. I thought that was an affront to my rights. But um, yeah, it's delicious, isn't it? And like... It just recalls Raiders of the Lost Ark and, um, and, and milk and everything. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's like the Medicis. <laughs> is there an equivalent in your part of Texas? Um, is, does, does, I don't know. Does San, <laughs> does San Antonio or Dallas have this great town hall that San Fran does, Austin? I think, I think, um, I think the Houston City Hall, probably the Dallas City Hall are... are uh, I don't know if there's as much gold uh, on everything, but there there's some uh, some high class city halls around. Uh, my city hall where I live is uh, is a pretty standard uh, <laughs> concrete industrial um, looking building, so it's not uh, not as fancy as this is. <laughs> the Melbourne Town Hall, for explanation, Austin is quite a nice building, but it doesn't have a sort of like um, a wide vista street, like what do you call it, a promenade that c- comes down from it, but you did have the Beatles in it once. I don't know if City Hall ever had the Beatles. 
That doesn't have any parking. No, you can't. You can't park out the front of no. Melbourne Town Hall at all. You have to. Like, well, you can, but it's illegal. I guess Dirty Harry can if he wants. Yeah, I guess Dirty Harry. Oh, because they've closed that car park around the corner, mm. so he's going to have to like park several streets away and just walk mm. or Uber. Yeah. No, you can't even drive down that street, can you? No, taxis are allowed to. Or Uber's allowed to. Well, there you you raise a very important industrial relations issue. I guess it's in the free tram zone. <laughs> All I know is that recording a podcast outside Melbourne Town Hall is problematic <laughs> because it's loud as fuck. People do yell at you. Especially we've got a... I'm recording into the black blue microphone. <laughs> uh, we had a silver one. That when you're outside Melbourne Town Hall with a silver orb, yeah. that attracts people <laughs> and it doesn't attract the right sort of person. <laughs> Plus, it was comedy festival time, so it's not the right sort of person hanging around there anyway. <laughs> oh, well, that's pretty much all I have for this minute, guys. Um, do you have any last words, Austin, about this minute? Um, I, just that I really do like the uh, the, and I guess it's again, it's another one of those we're looking up at Harry kind of shots, but just that when he comes in and we're at that that angle up from the floor and he puts his sunglasses away and then he walks almost over the camera and everything swings around to follow him the rest of the way it's the it's the only like really there's not really a shot like that in the movie besides that one and it is uh it's a neat kind of thing to have some something cool happen in in an otherwise uh mostly uh dull minute well many thanks for joining us austin oh thank you for having me and Ollie, you uh, any last words? Was this a superior minute to the bus minute? No, I think, I think the bus minute was superior, but I do enjoy that uh, how easily Clint Eastwood takes it until the final moment in this minute, and he's and he's and he runs up the stairs as if he suddenly realised kind of what he was there for. <laughs> Not a lot of security at this town hall, by the way. There was when I was there, but yeah, it was a simpler time. Yeah, although there was a madman on the loose. Yeah. Do you reckon he's just running up there to make... Oh, shit. Maybe Bresler was down-blousing or maybe he's having a peek... <laughs> peeping at some women on the street. I've got to go slap this Bresler around. Well, many thanks for joining us, Cam. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, where can where can listeners find you? Uh, they can find our podcast Gather Around Me on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all those places. Um, the places where podcasts are located. Yeah, and you can find me at Sexenheimer on Twitter. Do you ever do you ever review movies, or it's more? Uh, we do. We do, do Stephen King movies yeah. mostly, but occasionally a non-Stephen King horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can also find my other podcast, uh, the Hypo- the Hypothetical Institute, which is uh, that's the bad podcast. Spotify, Stitcher, all the places. I'm not on that podcast. Cam does it without me. That's the conspiracy theory podcast. I have a conspiracy theory of my own regarding that podcast. Go listen to all of these wonderful podcasts. And Austin, people can find you at We Watch Movies Podcast. That just again, We Watch Movies Podcast.com. What are you reviewing next? Well, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, we're supposed to do the new Godzilla movie, but we've been held up for a few weeks for uh, for various reasons. But it might be that or it might be uh, it might be something else. So. There will be something coming soon. It's been a few weeks since we've put one up, but it won't be uh, won't be much longer. Listeners, do please check it out. We watch movies. And Ollie, where can you got any any gigs coming up soon? 
Um, yeah, I'll have a show at the Melbourne Fringe if you live in Melbourne. You can catch Ooh, me there. Oh, nice. What's it called? It's called Poolside. It's a show I did at the Comedy Festival, doing it again. Um, otherwise, you can follow me at Oliver L. Coleman on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, guys. Austin, Oli, Cam, Ben. We'll catch listeners next time on Dirty, Dirty Harry, Harry, Harry Minutes. Minute. Minute. Sure, it's called a guitar. I guess you wouldn't mind if we exercise a little bit. Kind of start strumming back and forth like this and get a sound out of it. I'll show you. Riding hard, riding fast, always on the go. This is just a drover's life, this is all I know. Head em up, move em out, always on the run. Got to make a few more miles before the setting sun.